What's up, Kirsty Ennis? You're always like giggling. Like, look, I can hear you. Like, I, my mic, my headphones are really good, but you always have this like cute little giggle going. Are you always like happy these days, or what's up? Uh, I'm happy most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I like to think so. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm stressed out and tired right now too. Um, today is actually my oral defense for my doctorate, so I'll get off here with you and then go straight into pitching my case about why I should be a doctor um, in front of a panel. So. Little, little um, hectic. So, like doctorate <laughs> as in a PhD in what? Um, education, actually. Okay, go ahead. Give it to me. Let, let me hear it. Let, I'm, I'm right there on the panel. You got This is like a practice session. I, I, didn't, know that the, I didn't know this was going to happen. This is perfect. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I have to go into my why and, you know, obviously all about my entrepreneurship and then, of course, education background, military stuff. Um, but the big thing is just like being able to to share with other people how I'm going to create leaders in the future. So now in this <laughs> in this presentation and oral review of, of your is it a thesis? It'll be a dissertation dissertation. Will you discuss how? our school system is failing to teach our youth important things like how to grow their own food, how to manage money, how to become leaders and how, uh, what the entrepreneurial spirit of America is and how to self start and stuff like this. Um, you're spot on actually, you know, I mean, you and I have talked, um, at length in the pa in the past about why I do what I do now, you know, so of course in 10 years, five, 10 years, what I do physically and athletically is going to start to hurt a lot more. Um, so with, me doing my doctorate um, in education, it's really at the core, like just being able to inspire the next generation to have a hunger and appreciation for knowledge. And again, like you said, to revamp our school system. You know, I've been very fortunate to be able to be on all seven continents now. I've been in 30 some odd countries at this point, and I've been able to experience tons of different communities and cultures. And um, it's unfortunate that we have so many opportunities here and, and our school systems continue to be neglected. So. I don't have the patience to be a teacher, but that's what I'm trying to do behind the scenes. God bless teachers as long as they're in it for the right <laughs> reasons and they're good at it. Like this, this whole pandemic thing, I hope showed and proved to this general public and parents out there of how important teaching in school and public school is because I've watched parents try to homeschool when they have a full-time job and they're just doing the kids a disservice, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think every single one of us can think back to a time where there's that one teacher in our lives who really made an impact, who really, you know, turned things around for us. And I also can rattle off a laundry list of teachers that, um, you know, really hurt my experience in school, too. So, again, I mean, it takes a special breed um, to be able to be a teacher and, like you said, to be good at it. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping that I can eventually foster an environment to attract those people to teach, but then also to, you know, have people, kids, rather, who are really willing to be good students too. Question. Um, <laughs> like my long tangent. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I love it. So when you're given this disorientation today, will your prosthetic be in view of the panel? And I'm wondering of how, like, do you wear long slacks over that at all? Do you not cover it up at all because you want them to understand your past to the fullest? Or is it kind of, of, the mindset that you don't want them to have any of that insight that you are a war veteran and you are an injured warrior and you have a leg that was taken away with a, with your prosthetic. Oh no. I mean, I'm, I am not shy about that. I mean, even right now I'm sitting in my wheelchair without my leg on. Um, so I'm not necessarily shy about that. And I actually think like when I present to this panel, like I think sharing my history and my background and again, my passion for my country and the people, um, helps my case a little bit, but then I also want people to see the, the diversity and the inclusion. Like just because I'm differently able, disabled, whatever you want to call it, doesn't mean that I can't be good and effective um, in my career choice. So but I'm not shy about it by any means. You made a comment two, three minutes ago that in a few years, five, 10 years, the things that you do, I'm, I'm assuming you mean the hiking and the, the summits <laughs> and climbing the worlds and the continent's tallest peaks elevations of 14, 15, 17, 20,000 feet with a prosthetic leg and a, a great team to support you. But it's still like I watched your Antarctica expedition, which we're going to get into and just crazy what you're putting your body through. <clears throat> tell me as friends and tell the audience your health wise, 
do I have anything to worry about with you internally health wise after these accidents, after I could, I, too many surgeries to even count. I can't even remember the name, but I, or the number, but it's well over, is it over 50 surgeries? It's 46, 46 surgeries. Do I have anything to worry about, about my friend Kirsty being okay for the rest of her life internally organs, that kind of stuff? Um, I mean, I think everybody has something to worry about when it comes down. I know that, but I'm talking about directly to your accident. Well, yeah, I mean, of course I have catastrophic injuries. And I mean, I think the biggest one to worry about would be the brain injury. You know, of course, like when the helicopter went down, you know, 50 cal went through my face. That's the assumption anyways. And of course I had some pretty severe damage to my right frontal lobe. Um, And so I think that's the biggest concern for everybody. Um, That said, of course, after 46 surgeries and having all sorts of hardware inside of my body, there's always issues um, surrounding that, especially when I'm at altitude. So, um, I mean, I think the, the biggest, um, you know, issue that I'm going to have is being able to preserve my residual limb. You know, I don't have a lot of femur left and, um, if I continue to beat it up the way that I am, or if I don't have properly fitting sockets and I'm bottoming out, um, or frostbite or any of that, I think that would be the biggest concerns. Um, then haven't you done enough? Do- haven't you done enough, my friend? Haven't you shown us that you can oh. climb the world's tallest mountains? Why, why would you put yourself out there after you've already put your body through what it's gone through? And I know that you did it for the service of our country and our rights and freedoms, and we truly love you for it and respect you for it. But you've done enough. I get it. You're a badass. I know that you're how inspiring you are, but you literally just told me verbally that you going to the top of the peak and summits like this has a chance to make it to where your leg is worse off in the future than it already is. Yeah, but I would rather die at 50 years old than live to be 85 by sitting in my wheelchair. Like at a certain point, it's a quality of life. Like, But what about the people I that love you? To suffer? Huh? What about the people that love you and that care for you? Well, they're going to have like... So if you ask my mom how she felt about how I climbed, she would flat out tell you that she doesn't necessarily agree with it, but she wouldn't want to be around me if I wasn't climbing. Um, And so again, like if I'm miserable and unhappy and I don't feel like I'm living up to my full potential, you know, it doesn't matter what the people around me are thinking. Like I need to do this for me. Don't get me wrong. Again, there's a lot of people watching me and I really enjoy being able to be that pillar of hope or that, um, you know, beacon of inspiration for the next generations. But at the same time, like a lot of what I'm doing is for me. It makes me happy. It gives me purpose and it gives me a platform again to be able to give back. But there's still the underlying fact that you could probably get this endorphin rush or this adrenaline rush another way. I understand the goal now. I get it. You're goal orientated. And I love that about you. You got three more to do, correct? Out of the seven continents. No, I have one left. (laughs) Oh, you have one left. See, like I'm not even up on it. I thought this was number four. No, I've already done everything with the exception of Everest. So I have to go back for Everest since I turned around. Okay. So you have two left. No, just Everest. Just Everest. Mm -hmm. Do you think that if I sat here on this, right now and said, I want to do it with you. Would you say, no, you don't like, there's no possible way you would make it. What would you say to me? If I said, I want to go on it with you. Um, you better start working your ass off. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like Everest, isn't this a super tough mountain. It's just being able to be patient and knowing technical skills and being able to listen to your body and the team around you. You know, again, I, I did just kind of beat myself up talking about how I'm you know, neglecting and abusing my residual limb when I'm not doing these things. But at the same time, like, you have to be honest with yourself. You know, there to be a good mountaineer, you have to know when to turn around. And I think that's what I've done very well in the past. And the reason that I can continue doing these things is because I've been aware um, and in tune with everything. There's a reason that I, I was one of the only people who came home from, um, from Antarctica back in January who didn't have any frostbite. And I should have been the one that ended up with it because of my, you know, prosthetic and all the steel components and everything. So yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of give and take. What, what, uh, how did I get the number four in my head? Was there, was Antarctica the fourth highest? No, Antarctica how did I, smallest. How, <laughs> how did I get the number four in my head? I'm trying to, cause I, I usually study up on you pretty good. I'm trying to figure out how I made this mistake. Um, well, I guess maybe when, when did we first, when was our first podcast together? Cause maybe we talked right before Denali because I did Denali successfully in June and then Antarctica, um, in January. So they were pretty close together. Huh. I don't know how I made that mistake. So you have one left and it's, you've already done them all. This is just a redo because you (laughs) did, because you didn't summit Everest. Right. Yeah. So I turned around 600 feet from the summit um, of Everest in 2019 because my climbing partners ran out of oxygen. 
Wow. But you were, you were good to go. Yep. Um, I had the, the option to go up with a Sherpa, um, but that climb didn't mean anything to me if I didn't have my guys. So God, I, I love that. I love your attitude. I wish every, <laughs> I wish every human being was built like you and wired like you it, the world would be such a better place, especially with what I'm watching going on currently in our country, like being a veteran and being somebody that almost lost their life and that has gone through hell since their accident. It's got to just make you shake your head and be like, what in the freak? And look, I know that soldiers sit there and they go, we fought for their freedoms to have the right to have their choices and their opinions too. And that's, it's just such a weird mindset that, that we, that we're going down this road of making it harder on blue blue collar working class Americans. And this is just me talking. Okay. Farmers aren't going to be able to farm this year. They're going to have to, they're going to have to claim crop insurance because the price of fertilizer is going to be way too high with the price of fuel being so high. The food is not going to be able to get to you or me that we take for granted so often because the truckers aren't going to be able to haul it because they can't fill their 18 wheelers up with, with fuel. Um, and it's just going to keep snowballing. You can't even snowballing. drive to the grocery store to get it. <laughs> you can't even drive to the grocery store to get it. You feel like, oh my gosh, if I go on vacation, my it's spring break right now. If I go on a long vacation, am I really doing our family justice of spending this amount of money? I know you can't get that time back and those experiences back, but now they're putting this fear in our head. And you got to be looking at it like, wait, we fought so that stuff doesn't happen. And it's happening to where we're scared. We're scared to live right now because... We, d we don't want to go broke. We don't want to lose what we have. And then on top of that, the mental anguish that it causes, the emotional anguish that it causes, the, the uprising, I bet you, in whether it's suicide or fighting amongst people, spouses fighting. I've already seen probably 50 divorces since COVID started. Absolutely. It's cr this is crazy. Your mindset's got to be like, I fight so this stuff doesn't happen. Even though this is everyday world, we're supposed to be free here. We're supposed to feel confident that we can go live. And we can't right now, in my opinion. No, no. I mean, you're spot on with that. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking for me and especially like we do have the resources. And I think, you know, that after my dad got out of the Marine, out of the Marine Corps, he went on um, into oil and gas and onto the pipeline. And so for me to even see how that industry, like those people, those employees who have you know committed 20, 30 years of their lives, you know, to again, oil and gas, it's it's yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's sad that we have people in places that are making decisions that um, are selfish um, and self-serving and they're not thinking about the people that they're meant to be leading. So it's nuts to me. It's like, <laughs> I look at you and I'm just like, I'm just like, just spend five minutes in a room with Kirstianis, Mr. President, <laughs> and tell me that you want to keep making these decisions. Please just spend some time with her. It, it's just nuts. Like the people, the people that would see the, the, the true value in your message, I think would be like, yeah, we can't keep going down this road. We, we cannot keep, falling for this manipulation man and that's what's happening we were like literally every day waking up to like that's not the truth that's not really what's going on right 100 percent. i mean and don't get me wrong like especially somebody who you know when people ask me about afghanistan i love deploy deploying and i loved afghanistan i love the afghani people um and so for me to see what's unfolding um you know in a, in ukraine right now and for us to not really know what the truth is, like in its entirety, is very frustrating because there are people fighting wars for politicians um, and a lot of innocent people getting hurt. Um, and unfortunately, like, you know, cross my fingers, knock on wood, that it would never make it this far to come onto our soil. Um, but I promise you, I won't fight another war for a politician. I will dig my boots into the ground and die for my country right here defending it. But I'm, I wouldn't I will never fight another war for a politician. And you shouldn't. It's crazy. I'm a. Uh... I don't know. I, we can't go down that rabbit hole because I get really <laughs> I for, for the, fir the first time in my life, Kirsty. I've, I have, I am pissed. I'm, I'm staunch right now. It's like, I've never had this staunch of a stance on politics and leadership. I've never been like this. I've always just been, been kind of supportive and been stayed in my lane. I know my values. I know my views, my thoughts, my focus. I know where I'm going to do when my vote comes around. But now I'm like, like it wake up every day irritated. Like there's there, I'm watching it happening right before our eyes, innocent people being obstructed by this and it's not stopping. It's just, I mean, it, it was the kids for the longest deal. I mean, they just got the masks off our kids like three weeks ago in school. It's been two years. Yep. These innocent kids can't breathe in school. And they just sat there and brainwashed them with this shit. And it's just like, man, I, I just, every day I wake up with just a different frustration and 
it's challenging. Like it's challenging. And I want you to talk a little bit about mindset real quick of there is challenges in everybody's life. Your challenges have been different. They're more drastic than mine. I would hate to lose my leg. I would hate it. Our, our friend, my good friend, um, I don't know if you know Travis Turner, T-Bone from the Bone Collector Show. No. He he had a bump in his calf, in his shin, and went in, and it ended up being serotonin, the cancer, and they just amputated his leg above the leg. Avid deer hunter, TV personality, one of the sweetest men I've ever met in all my life, not just the outdoor industry. He lives in Georgia, and now he has one leg. And he's he's a leader. He's staying positive, but it's devastating to him. He's lost his shit over it. I've heard him cry over it. He's got a lot of support, but I can't imagine that kind of of adversity, okay? That's a lot of adversity physically. Mindset is key because you take that adversity that you have faced, not to mention the fright, the the mental anguish that it puts on somebody to see their life right before their eyes flashing. Then you got to say, well, everybody has adversity. And you have to be compassionate about, well, not everybody's adversity is on the same level as yours or what happened to T-Bone or what's happened to so many people across this world. People lose people all the time. It happens, right? What is, what is some of the things that you could key in on and tell me and educate me during these tough times? And I don't want it to sound like a pity party, Miss Kirsty, because we do live in the greatest country in the world. We do have an unbelievable life. And I'm so grateful and honored and humbled by it. But it's still difficult sometimes. Life is a you-know-what, a mother effer a lot of times. How do you, in your seminars, how do you get people to see the important things? And I'm not saying that darkness and sadness and those things aren't natural. And they're good for us. They're healthy. But how do we get over these, I guess, thresholds and become positive and keep moving forward? Well, I mean, I think I think you and I have talked a little bit about that in the past, you know, as far as like the mantra that I've lived by through all of the hell that I've been through is it's the six inches between your ears and what's behind your rib cage that dictate what you're capable of. Um, and I will live and die by that. But that said, I feel like right now, like humans, we just stray away from, you know, anything that's uncomfortable. Um, but the reality is, is if you can lean into what's uncomfortable, like that's actually going to change the trajectory of your entire life. So for me, when I first lost my leg, of course I was devastated, especially as I started losing more and more of it. But the reality of it is, is because I embraced what happened to me and this prosthetic, this amputation, like that's given me my life back. So by leaning into the stuff, like the hard stuff that life threw at me, I'm actually able to shift my perspective about it and utilize it for something good. Like the hardest times in my life actually catapulted me into the best moments of my life. Um, And so again, like, I think a lot of it just comes down to, I don't want to say necessarily a daily perspective, but you know, we have the power to write the rest of our stories. Like we control how we respond or we react or like um, we control our emotions at the end of the day. Um, So I can sit here and I can choose to be pissed off and grumpy about everything that's happened to me. But now I look at my life and I'm just proud of the scars that tell stories on my skin. You know, I could, I could be extremely pissed off. Um, but uh, instead, like I, I choose to view it as opportunity. I choose to view it as the potential to make me better. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that um, our society as a whole is going to have to, again, lean into each other to get through this hard stuff, but then also recognize that it's not going to last forever. And as long as we're strong and smart about the things that life are throwing at us, like we will overcome. We're always going to prevail. Are you uh, a student of exercises and consistency and routine? Try to be. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely try to be. How structured do you see yourself every day? Do you, do you fall off of your routine a lot? Do you find excuses a lot right now? Because you could be like, I've already been through hell. I don't need to work out today. I don't give a shit. Like I, I, I accept what my body looks like. I accept who I am. There's nothing more I can do to better. Or every day do you be like, I'm doing something to better myself today. Oh, I mean, I mean, so if we want to get into the nitty gritty, I'm pulling up my morning routine so I don't miss any of it for you guys. But I try to wake up at the same time every day. I meditate. I read 20 minutes. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. What, what time is that, please? Um, five. I used to do four, but your girl's tired. <laughs> five, 5 a.m. is still very early. Um, 
So yeah, so right off the bat, meditate, read 20 minutes, drink my greens, roll out, stretch, uh, vitamins, water, tons of water, and then work out twice. So whether it's strength and conditioning and then cardio, but like that, if I don't do that every single morning, like my day is totally derailed. Um, Five o'clock until when does that uh, take? Probably 7.30. Have you touched your phone in that two and a half hour time span? Yes, I'm guilty. <laughs> every day? Every day? Uh, not every day. Okay, yeah. a better question is, are you on social media in that two and a half hours? Oh, yeah. I'm guilty of scrolling. I won't even lie. <laughs> why Why? Why? Why do you have this weakness? Because um, it's mind-numbing. It's easy. Just scroll. Does it piss um, but, you off? Does it piss you off when you scroll or does it make you giggle? Does it make you happy for people? Does it show you how, does it show you how illegitimate our worlds become that this is, this is what entertains us today is to a mom and a daughter dancing to a, a song that we think is cute. <laughs> is this really what our worlds come to? <laughs> um, yeah. So it's probably uh, a little bit of, you know, I'm happy for the people that are close to me. Like I, of course I only follow people that, you know, I know or, some kind of business connections do so like of course like it, it makes me feel good to see people that you know i care about thriving but on the flip side of it like it really is pretty painful to see like how um yeah our society handles um problems and trauma nowadays i mean like the fact that we make memes about wars um to make ourselves feel better is actually pretty pathetic but, it's sad it's so sad yeah. so it's so sad i I want to go back to the, the morning, the routine. When you say that you meditate, is meditation uh, a mind-strengthening deal every day, or do you also use this time <clears throat> to be dark and to be sad when you're by yourself? Like, there's all these different emotions that can go through a human, brain, a human being's brain and psyche with loneliness and being by themselves. I assumed, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm not trying to get into your business, but I am pretty, I am pretty personal with you about, like, I assume you woke up by yourself today like I did. Yes. Now, when I woke up and I opened my eyes, I don't use an alarm clock. I never use an alarm clock unless I know that, I've, that I'm going to only get like two hours of sleep and I got I to hit the bell at 4 a.m. to get up and set a spread or something. Um, but a lot of times when I wake up, I got to sit there and literally force myself not to reach for my phone. And the times that I do, I get more weirded out by the fact that I did it because it's not normal. It's not what I was built to do. It's an excuse in my opinion that it's just there. And this is what society does now because after I do what you call scrolling or whatever we call it, I literally am not fulfilled one bit. Not one bit. Like if I watch a documentary on, like I just watched a documentary on Muscle Shoals in Alabama, you know, the great, the famous rate, uh, recording studios. <clears throat> I was fulfilled. I'm like, oh my gosh, they did this there. And oh my gosh, this is history. This happened there. This is why we have this song. And this is how this guy was discovered. He was a waiter at a restaurant and they heard him singing in the back alley by a dumpster. And this is how we got that song. Oh my gosh. But now I'm watching a song about Applebee's and two people dancing that I don't know who they are. I don't care about the dance steps and I'm sitting there going, I got nothing out of that. It's fake. It's like this, this false fulfillment that we're giving and I get so upset at myself. So do you use that time to go through all these emotions like I do? Because it makes me sad that I did that, or it makes me sad that I'm alone or it makes me sad that it's dark. Like, I don't know how to control all of that. Do you? Um, I mean, I don't think anybody knows how to control it, but unfortunately, I mean, that's what social media is at the end of the day. Like, of course, you know, the argument is that it's there to foster, you know, friendship and, you know, be able like being able to stay in touch with people, you know, across the country or across the world. But unfortunately, what we do as humans is we compare our lives to other people's. Um, and of course, like social media is just this in insane false reality. People only show the highs, you know, the, the high highs <laughs> and they avoid like real life and all of the lows. So, um, you know, I think even for me, I'd say since 2020, when COVID started shutting us down, I actually gravitated away from social media and how like just to be totally transparent as an influencer, if you will, like 
I don't post the way that I used to. I post about shit that matters. I don't post to sell a pair of leggings or any of that other stuff anymore. Um, and I think that it's kind of sad that that's 90% of what social media is now. Um, because even back in the day, if it really was created, you know, for people to be able to foster relationships and stay in touch, that's not what it is anymore. And don't get me wrong. I think it's a great tool, especially for small businesses, um, you know, independent contractors, all of that. But I also think that people lose them, like lose themselves in all of it as well. I mean, I have corporate partners and donors, the ones that I believe in and the ones that I think add quality to my life. Um, and I commit to those. And of course I promote them because of, again, the aligned mission and vision. Um, but I think it's pretty sad as to what it is now. Um, and, and like you said, I go through all sorts of different emotions. A lot of it probably is animosity or frustration uh, with, I don't necessarily want to say other people's perspectives because I really appreciate different opinions and views and all of that. Um, but it's, just the way that it's being used now. Yeah. I mean, if what about these, what about these ones where the music plays and the girl or the guy points up here and it says, Oh no, I think I'm a sad, I'm a Sagittarius. And <laughs> have you ever, have you ever done that? Christianis where you no. have a full, you have a full body camera and then you like point to your limb and you go, I lost my leg and no. I got shot down in a helicopter. Do you ever like beg for attention like this? No, this I mean, is crazy to me. This is not that, normal. This is not normal to get on there and record yourself saying this stuff. Now, look, people could come at me and go, you're always on there trying to sell something or show your lifestyle. And it, they're right. Like I'm on there going, I cooked a duck today. Wow. My dad cooked ducks for 60 years before, before social media was ever around. Right? Like who gives a shit that I cooked a duck today, but I'm like, well, I got to sell rubs and I got to show Traeger and I got to show like, I'm not just in it for the kill. I want to live off the land and I want to be a good proprietor of that, or a good showman of that, a good ambassador of the culture of the American hunter. But does anybody truly care? that I shot a duck and I know how to cook a duck. Like, that's what I ask myself all the time. Is that the same as somebody going, I'm a Sagittarius and I'm 28 years old and I'm, and I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. And if you da 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 da, and I'm just like, dude, what in the frick? Can't you just walk up to somebody and meet them at a, at a, at a place and say, hi, like yeah. we've gotten away from conversing, but we're so apt to just jump on here and talk to the, all these strangers. It's crazy to me. Oh yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're spot on, honestly. You think so? Yeah, I know. I really do. And I mean, I think that's the unfortunate part, especially even like during COVID, like making kids do all the virtual classes and everything. Like, again, as a whole, we have gotten so used to hiding behind a screen or being addicted to a screen and a keyboard um, that we've forgotten, like the fact that we need each other. Like we are meant to be social beings. We're meant to need each other to survive and thrive and everything else. But we're not doing that from, you know, a phone or a computer. I mean, don't get me wrong, like having this conversation right now. Absolutely. But again, like, if we are relying on likes and comments and total strangers approval to make ourselves happy, that that's sick. That's ill. It's, it's crazy. Like I, I that's what I was going with my question or my comment about laying in bed. Cause I'm always thinking like, I literally just, I, I'll never get that time back. Why did I do it? Am I that weak? Am I that week that instead of getting on my bike or going and doing step ups outside on the fire pit or, or getting in the hot tub and really thinking, really challenging myself to meditate and be alone and really put myself in a position of like, all right, I got, I got the next 16 hours of daylight in me right now. I'm going to make all this stuff happen instead of letting it come to me and just being like, oh, well, I can deflect that or. Hey, I wasn't proactive on this, but now I'm going to be defensive about it. Or now I got to freaking make time for this because I wasn't prepared, which that does happen. But I want to, I want to like sit there and, and, and project and, and forecast and be like, all right, my strategy is this. But instead I'm sitting there going, wow, they're all dancing to the same song and that song sucks. And why am I listening to it? And why am I freaking watching this? That's crazy to me. That's a weakness that we all have. And it's like they want us to like rely on today's TikTok song of the week is this. Go show us your dance moves. It, who gives a shit.com. Go to work and become a better leader. I don't, and, but it's my fault for watching it because you could easily say, just stop putting, turn it on, get rid of the app. Get rid of the app. And then I'm like, well, I can't because then I got to have it for business. And then I got to show my impressions and my engagement to the people that I work with. But while I'm doing that, I'm sneaking over here and watching some family dance to whatever song this is. Like, that's not normal. That's stupid. It's not entertaining. It's not informative. 
It's not making me a better person. It's not educating me. I don't want to do that dance. I used to watch MC Hammer dance across every spectacle of the West Coast, and he was a badass. I don't need to watch some <laughs> soccer mom in Ohio show me that she can Dougie, like, or whatever these dances are called. Like, I don't get it. I don't want, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm above it. I'm saying that we fall for this. It's crazy to me. And then for you to tell me that you fall for it with your structured life and your past, that's even crazier to me. What are you thinking? I, I don't, I mean, you're spot on. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's again, we've, we did this to ourselves ultimately. I mean, and so to be fair, I did delete Facebook off my phone and all that good stuff to like <laughs> regulate my time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are times where I kick myself in the ass time and time again, like, you know, like you said, that's an hour of my day that's wasted or however long, you know, and it's such a bad habit now. Like we were like, this is real personal. This is real personal. Don't answer it. If you don't want, when you go to the bathroom, do you bring your phone into the bathroom? Sometimes. Yeah. Why? (laughs) That's like, that's like, that's, that's like, that is like, that is so that is so like what you're not supposed to do in life, right? You're supposed to go in there and think and be healthy and be quick and not let your feet go to sleep. You're not supposed to sit there and watch these people dancing while you're doing that. We used to just like grab a quick people magazine, look at the cover. Boom. We're gone. That's not even happening anymore. We scroll for hours. The next thing you do, you try to stand up. Your foot's so asleep, you fall down in the toilet. None of it makes <laughs> sense to me of how of where we've gone with this fascination with the outside world that doesn't matter. Well, uh, no, I mean at a certain point, it's an addiction. Like addiction. That's exactly where I'm going with it. And like, yeah, in, in this day and age, like it is a staple in everyday life. Like. Every single one of us are the exact same way, unfortunately. But again, now that we've made it a habit, we've added it into our routine, it is an addiction. Do you think that you could keep your livelihood, livelihood meaning, I'm not talking about your events. I'm not talking about your, your team building events or your seminars or your speaking engagements or your schedule. Could you keep your livelihood at this point in your career, Kirstianis, with the, you just mentioned that you work with products and companies and brands that you believe in by the way the Lear commercial that you're on is so badass I love watching it um it's on our show all the time on every episode I love seeing you on there um could you get rid of these apps right now and be be fine with these partners corporate sponsorships revenue streams that you've created yes then why don't you get rid of them (laughs) but with that said uh, I mean, you're, everybody always needs, you know, new business leads and new partners, you know, times change and to be able to tap into the different industries and the different people. And again, unfortunately, different opportunities, like social media is always going to be there. Um, in my heart of hearts, would I love to delete all of it? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, so they got us. You just admitted that they got us. And that's why they got us. Cause I would do anything in my power to never have my daughter learn the words TikTok. I don't have a personal TikTok, but we just started one for our brands, two of our brands, probably, I don't know how long ago. And I've never been on it. I've never went on the app and scrolled the app. But now this style has infiltrated Instagram. So now you have all these TikTok videos moved over to Instagram. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit. People actually turn their phones on and face it towards them and go dance to a song that was from TLC back in 93 called Waterfalls. I was grooving to that shit at a Sadie Hopkins dance in high school, just jamming at with my Z Cavaricis on back when I was an OG. And now people are like doing this for the, all these strangers to see. And it's all like in their house hidden from society. And I'm like, I wonder if these people would go into a dance club and go out on the floor and show all of these moves <laughs> that they're doing in there, that they're showing on this, this deal. I, I, I have still yet to understand. And I, and I mean this, I keep picking on soccer moms and I see dads doing it too, but what does it do? I've seen so many moms and their eight year old daughters dancing together. Oh, it brings us closer together because it's on an app. You can't do that in your kitchen cooking spaghetti sauce and taking some of it and wiping it on her forehead and laughing and dancing with her. That's what we used to do. We used to go out and catch lizards. We used to go out and get bloody elbows. We used to go out and split logs 
and have our dad whip our ass if we did something wrong. We didn't have to watch all these other people live in life. We lived it. We were being pulled on sleds behind a F-250 that would put most dads in jail now if they did it. I got my ass whipped in public so bad that my dad would have go to jail for sure now. I'm saying like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm against evolution and I know things change. But I say that we grew up pretty good. And now I'm in a position to hire some people. And I hire some people that have grown up in this age of this type of communication. And Kirsty, I'm here to tell you, you can't talk to them. You're sitting there going, what did you just say? Oh, man, that's out of the Urban Dictionary. What is the Urban Dictionary? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't understand why a guy said to me yesterday something that was so not English that I went, that's not how you say that, dude. That is not what people put our language together. If you said that in a court of law or you said that in a thesis of, or a disorientation of what Miss Kirstie's getting ready to do, they would laugh you out of the room. So why does your mind go there? It's because it's okay for it to happen because it's happening with all this, this technology that we shove down our own throats every day like it's medicine that we need it to stay alive, which you just referred to as an addiction. It is. That's nuts. I can't believe you do it. That blows my mind. I, I asked that. I, I wanted to backdoor that question just to have you hopefully go, I'm out. I, I got off of it. Like I'm, I'm out of it hundred percent. I'm not doing it anymore. Okay. That's my rant about social media. I apologize, Kirsty, but I'm so over oh, I it. I like it. I'm so over it. <clears throat> okay. You leave, <clears throat> you're at DIA. Do you fly out of Denver? Is that where your main airport you fly out of is? Uh, Aspen. Aspen. You're in Aspen. That reminds me of, uh, Slippy, slappy, sap, Samsonite. I was way off. What movie? <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Aspen. Um, is that where the 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 salmon of Capistrano is? Oh yes. god, that movie was funny. Um, you leave Aspen, you fly to Dallas or Houston or somewhere, and take us from here. You go to Chile. I want people to understand that you don't just have the ability to jump on these mountains. And climb up to the sun. This is a process. And it's a year of, it's working out, it's focus, it's preparation, it's logistics. I know that there's a lot of back work that goes into this, backlog work that you have to prepare to get to that. But take me on the voyage now of what you just did with your with the, the sixth mountain you climbed. Is this the sixth continent? Yes. <laughs> See, I got it right. <laughs> Not four. <laughs> um, well, actually, I haven't even like really like uh, spoken publicly about my absolute nightmare of getting down to Antarctica and um, I might get in trouble <laughs> for, for sharing some of this, but um, I actually had to smuggle myself down to Antarctica through Chile uh, because I couldn't get authorization from the Chilean Ministry of Health due to just COVID regulations and whatnot. And um, when I, I'm not given specifics because I don't want anybody to get in trouble, but when I showed up at the airport, one of the airports here in Colorado, I had no idea if I was going to be able to get on to this plane. Um, you know, my, my climbing partners were all good to go. Everybody else in the climbing team was solid. They were going to get down there. But um, just because of my situation and my choices, like I didn't have approval. Um, but when I showed up at the at the airport counter and argued my case for two and a half hours and showed that I was I had all of these different papers that had all the different decrees and everything else that I needed um, to kind of the loophole, if you will. Um, finally, one of the ladies, um, probably the 10th woman that I talked to, she looked at me and she slid my boarding passes over the counter and said, just do what you're supposed to do when you get there so I don't lose my fucking job. And I was like, all right. And I barely made it onto that flight. I mean, I'm, I'm talking by 20 minutes and I had no freaking clue what was going to happen when I arrived in Houston. I, uh, again, found a loophole and was able to board my flight in Houston. And I can't tell you how afraid I was sitting on that plane in Houston, trying to get down to Chile. Cause I had, again, no, like I could have been taken off that plane. I could, I could have lost my $80,000 to climb this damn mountain and not gotten a penny back. Um, but sure enough, we took off and I arrived, um, um, down in Chile and stood in another line for two hours. Um, not knowing if I was literally going to get my passport taken away, deported. And, you know, again, like it could have all been over, uh, all over. Got there again, argued my case to the local people. And after a lot of emo emotional uh, turmoil and stress, 
they gave me the go ahead and allowed me to fly down to Punta Arenas and then eventually into Antarctica. Um, but yeah, I haven't like publicly talked about that or anything yet. Um, cause I literally smuggled myself down there. Um, <laughs> and I will never ever recommend traveling international travel anyways, during a pandemic, um, because of just how bad it was. I mean, I even had an offer to go climb Everest again this year, but I refused to try and fly to Nepal again, a third world country during all of this craziness. Um, but then, I mean, once, once I even got to Punta Arenas, it was every other day you had to take a COVID test. I had to have five negative tests, had to take tests on the plane before I even got to Antarctica when we were in the air. Um, and then once we got there, um, it was still another hour long flight from Union Glacier. And even when I got there, it was another COVID test. I'm like, there's 10 people out here. It's negative 65 degrees. Pretty sure we don't have anything to worry can you about. Can you imagine the state of our world? No, they, I like, would, they would have turned you around after all that travel. When you got down there on the glacier, they give you a test and they'd have been like, uh, you're going into quarantine. Well, where in the igloo, you can put yeah, me in an igloo for 14 days. That, no, that's literally what was happening to people down there. It was, it was nuts. Um, yeah. So uh, you're nervous, you're nervous all the way until you get your last test, because even when you get into the airspace of Antarctica and you're landing and you're like, Oh, finally, it's still not a guarantee. No. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably the most stressful part of that climb. I mean, Mount Vincent is a 16,000 foot mountain down there. It's not super technical. It's not super challenging. You just have to be strong, stubborn, and stupid um, to withstand the cold and then, you know, keep just, you know, slogging along, just get up the mountain and get back down. Um, But yeah, like just the uncertainty and like lack of control that I had over that situation, that was probably the most painful part to be totally honest. Okay, so last COVID test comes and they're like, okay, you're on your way. So I, I'm trying to picture what what the society's like or what the landscape is like, I should say. Are you, do you get in a, a regular truck at this point and they take you on regular roads? How is it structured down there? Are you all, are you on, are you on uh, skidoos and you're just freaking going on snow pass the entire time? No, is it like I, explain it to me. Um, well, so they actually, they, I mean, everything's on a glacier. There are no roads, actually the entire, um, like, kind of like you said, landscape surrounding Mount Vincent and just being down there at Union Glacier, like it all gets broken down. I mean, everything is only set up for three, four months at a time. They try not to leave, you know, a footprint down there. They try to leave it this pristine polar desert. Um, but it is like, they have these massive vehicles down there where we're talking like F-550s with these huge tires. And that's for the most part, how people get around or a bunch of like the bush planes and, and whatnot. But otherwise, like there is nothing out there. And I think that was one of the, like the coolest parts about being down there um, is because it is completely uncharted territory in some ways. And what made it so unique in the climbing world is, you know, compared to, we'll just say Everest, Everest or Denali, you go out to these mountains and do these expeditions, but there are people out there, you know, 99% of the time, there's always resources. I mean, how on Everest, you can go down a base camp and have a burger beer and have Wi-Fi and hang out. Um, but out there, like when you go climb Mount Vincent, like you are basically signing your life away because no one is, no one is going to come get you. So you fully have to have a prepared team and a skilled team. Um, Cause again, I mean, they're not coming for you. It's kind of, it's kind of a surreal feeling. What's when you're, when you're just standing there on this glacier, what's the temperature? You live in a pretty cold spot when you're, where you live normally, you could get down to negative 10, no problem that part of the country, but it's pretty, the temperature in Aspen, Colorado is probably a lot like where I live. It's probably normally a low of around 25 this time of year with the high, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe 40 mid forties. What yeah. is it like down there? Um, negative 25 at like base camp. But then as soon as you start going up and I'd say when I hit high camp and especially on summit day, it was easily negative 65, negative 70 with the wind chill, negative 65 degrees with the wind <laughs> chill Fahrenheit. Yeah. All right. So like I went to Lake of the woods one time, look at, I'm topping your story. Okay. I'm in Northern Minnesota, Canadian border on a skidoo on a frozen Lake ice fishing you know, seven, eight mile rides on the, on the, uh, snowmobiles across the ice. And I got, I got, uh, burnt. I got, what is it? What am I trying to say? 
what is it called when you get wind bur- uh, when you get cold when you get so cold frost it messes bite, your- I got I got frost nip and frostbite on my neck right on my throat because a little piece of my skin was showing on the bike ride on the motors on the skidoo ride like negative 65 and I think it was only like negative 15 with the wind chill that day up there on this lake negative 65 what are you dressed in well so i so my nickname on the mountain is the freak and but that's because like so again this is going to take a little bit of a backstory but i run hot all the time like right now even inside my house i have it at 60 degrees like i am warm all the time and it's absolutely miserable so like out there i was actually this exact shirt wearing this shirt um and hiking pants whereas everybody else was in like polar summit suits, um, like layers upon layers, wearing everything that they absolutely had. But I was just because of moving in the sun, pulling my sled. And and again, just naturally being so hot now. um, I mean, like I was sweating through this and it would like, if I stopped moving, it would freeze to my skin and I would have to literally rip it off. Um, So for me, again, like all of my experiences are totally backwards compared to most people's. Um, But yeah, I mean, even, even on my summit day, I had, puffy pants on and a puffy jacket, but it wasn't, you know, an 8,000 meter jacket or anything like that. Um, but to your point, like I would look over at people and because they would have like their ear outside of their beanie, it would just like instantly turn white, um, white oh, and purple. Man. And like, I mean, so, I mean, Oh, I am so grateful that I came home the way that I did happy, healthy. Like, again, I have no idea how I didn't end up with something on my residual limb, especially. Um, but I mean, everybody, their faces were all bandaged up their hands. Um, bandaged like it like oh because yeah. oh. yeah, of frostbite like, yeah because so so people on your team lost skin oh yeah because of this hike just a friendly hike <laughs> just a <laughs> so any any major setbacks on the way to the summit um no actually um i actually cruised up that mountain you never uh, fell one time Fell? Oh, I fell. I fall all the time. That's just not a setback. <laughs> that's not considered a setback. No, that's daily life. <laughs> when you fall, when you fall, do you slide down with the vert? Um, no, but that's just because like you have different techniques for like self arrest and self rescue. Um, so th- I mean, there's definitely like protection and you know systems in place to be able to keep you from falling, you know, four thousand feet or something like that. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, on the move up, I was great. It was like super strong. It was actually ahead of everybody else by two and a half hours at least. Um, what do you mean everybody else, your entire team? Um, yeah. And every other team that was out there, there was a Russian team, a Chinese team. Couple Holy of, sh- and you're two and a half hours. Oh, ahead. ahead. Just yeah, because like, I, I was just... drinking whiskey on new year's, new year's day as people were like coming, coming into camp. <laughs> so you're. Is this because of your, your physical being and how good of shape you're in? Um, but you're missing a leg. Like how are you two and a half hours ahead of everybody with the prosthetic? I think it's just a mindset and you're like, and again, your skill sets, like certain terrain I move fast on period. Like I can run laps around certain people, <laughs> most people on a mountain. Um, but I think it's used, to, I'm used to it. I like have a strong background in it and I know it works for me. Um, I think a lot of people, especially on Antarctica, like they, weren't necessarily strong climbers. They weren't necessarily mountaineers. Some, some of them, like they had never even traveled on a glacier with crampons, let alone pulled a sled full of gear. So, um, I think that that added to it in some ways too, though. Um, you know, Antarctica is, and it just attracts different people. So, so people with money, (laughs) any, any, um, any, intel you got on the degree of vert on this mountain like i'm trying to picture like how steep it is i've been on some sheep mountains and i've been on some deer mountains that that get pretty steep at times but is this a constant vertical climb um no so i mean it's actually pretty mellow and pretty like pretty gradual um with the exception of the move from low camp to high camp um and that is super vertical i mean you're, you're probably moving three four thousand feet at at least 30, 25, 30 degrees. So 25, 30 degrees. And what is the, the, the peak? What's the summit elevation? Um, just over 16,000, 16,000 feet. I believe that's about somewhere around 2,500 to 3000 feet higher than our highest peak here in our state of Nevada. I might be off on that a little bit. Hey, Jack, will you please Google, um, highest peak in state of Nevada? 
I want to make sure that I have, I think it's 13,900 feet or maybe 14,000 some. And when you look at it, you're like, I would never climb up there. A lot of times I challenge myself mentally, uh, Miss Kirsty of like, I bet you I could climb that mountain in two hours. And then you get to the base of it and you're like, I'm not even going to start this freaking thing. How high is it, Jack? Boundary peak and it's 13,147 feet. 13,147. It's called boundary? Boundary peak. Text my brother and ask him what the peak is in Ely, Nevada, where we elk hunt. The tallest peak. Yeah, Ely, E-L-Y. There's a there's a really high peak over there, and I want I thought it was fourteen thousand. It says thirteen thousand one hundred, Kirsty, for Nevada. <laughs> I've never climbed it, but do you want to come out and do it with me just to say you did? Oh, absolutely. You do really would. Market. You know what <laughs> I think we ought to do is I I haven't seen you since last when was it August? Yeah, seriously. And we're gonna meet again this year for Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> yeah, rolling down my street, smoking. Sipping on gin and juice, mm-hmm. laid back in my mind, on my money, on my money, on my mind. I know all Snoop Dogs. Me and you are going to groove that night. Um, okay, so we're going to meet again there, but I think that we should make a commitment, a strong commitment of a hunt this fall, where you and it's not going to be like climbing up a mountain to shoot ducks, okay? We're going to be sitting in a duck blind, eating biscuits and gravy, chilling out, talking smack, okay? Deal. <laughs> so let's let's get let's get some uh, a location and some dates on the book. I'll figure out around Colorado somewhere. Uh, even though I obviously through conversation with you, you're not afraid to travel. But I got a lot of good hunting around Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Colorado, um, South Dakota, all the that area that you would border, even down into Oklahoma, Texas, that part of the country. So we'll figure out something. Yeah, I'd love that. I, I want to see if you can shoot a shotgun. Absolutely. Can you? <laughs> yeah. You can? Yes. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know like how I've told you this before but it's it's hard to like think that you accomplish anything in life when you when you know what you've done. It's such a it's such a cool vibe to know how humble you are and how you treat people and like how you get treated because of not what you did but who you are because like the way people take to you is so like wow like they don't even know your whole story. Like the way that Kevin and all the people at Jack Daniels took to you they oh, it wasn't yeah. like they they read your a book or on you or like they had this entire like uh thesis that was like oh this is what she was about. Like they they talk to you for three minutes and like, Oh my God, this this is an incredible human being. I think that is such a cool trait to have. And I hope that your platform allows you, I don't, I'm not really worried about income because I know that you're always going to be successful, but I hope your platform allows you to get this attitude and ideology of life, the way you approach life out there to the masses more so. And I mean that because I think that, after talking to you today about how weak a lot of the things we fill our body with every day, as far as our, what we consume into our brains, not to mention, we haven't even got in to how good a shape you're in and nutrition and diet and focus and, 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 and cheat days and how, what you're allowed to put in your body and what you're not. Like I've talked to you a little bit about that, but I treated my body like an absolute portable toilet from that's the best that's the best example i could give you Kirsty. i apologize i've been talking about toilets a lot today but from <laughs> september until two weeks ago when snow goose camp got over i was sitting there going what are you doing you work out so hard when you're home with your trainer you eat right to the point to where people tease you about your about your nutritional plan or how you eat the only bad thing i really put in my body well people say duck meat's bad because it's high in cholesterol but I ain't going to quit eating duck I love duck but I eat sushi and the sweet right the sushi the, you know the the sticky rice has a lot of sugar in it but that's like my that's like my craving I love raw fish and I love it with rice but now I got back and I'm like haven't had a carb, haven't had a starch, haven't had a sip of alcohol. I'm like really driven right now. I got up today and I hot tubbed. I did step ups. I did squats. I did jumps. I did my, I did, I got these badass Kaiser bikes. Have you ever heard of Kaiser? K-E-I-S-E-R. No. You got, dude, I got this arm bike, Kirsty, that is so bad to the bone and I rip it and it's got, it goes all the way to level 20 to where you can barely pedal it at 20, but it's like showing your vert. And I'm, I know Peloton's famous and I know that there's a great workouts out there, but this bike is a magnetic bike. There's no gears in it. I've never had an issue um, with the the build of it and the maintenance of it and all that. And I'm ripping it and I feel great. And I'm wondering, like, I want to get into a conversation with you next time about balance because 
I'm not going to not go to Sturgis and have a Jack Daniels, and I'm not going to go up there and not have a shitty meal at the Loud American. I'm not saying they're food shitty. I'm saying that it's not good for me to put in my body, but I'm not going to miss out on those opportunities. And I've had this conversation with trainers and nutritionists and and cardiologists, and I I even just had my eyes operated on, Kirsty. I had my lenses taken out of both eyes, 2040 vision in both eyes, and now I'm 2015 in both eyes. My ophthalmologist, Matt Mills, who's been a, a guest in the last couple months on this podcast, his hands are so diligent the way he does the surgery. We filmed the entire thing for TV and it's just, it's unbelievable what he did to my eyes. And now I'm like, I'm driving at night with no flare, no halos. I'm seeing ducks so much more vividly. And I'm like, this is life. It's so awesome that we can have that. I got the ability to go in there and get my vision back to where it was when I was 18 years old. That's crazy to me. But at the same time, I'm, I'm bettering and improving that part of my life, but I'm sitting over here partying and say, this is okay too. So I want to have a conversation with you about the pressures we put on ourselves. Okay. I want you to keep this in mind and I'll text you after. I have a good friend named John Kerry, who you and I spoke with about or spoke about before we were, were on, on podcast today. He's a fighter. He's been a, a guest on the podcast two or three times. And one of the things he taught me is how important it is to keep pressure on ourselves. You are a walking image of keeping pressure on yourself. Nobody with one leg should be climbing 16,000 feet. In my opinion, it's freaking crazy. It's so freaking badass and admirable. The amount of pressure that you keep on yourself is awesome. So our next talk, our next conversation, I want to talk about balance. Is it okay to go party once in a while? Is it okay to eat biscuits and gravy at duck camp? Because I worked out for the three months, but I want to talk about how we keep the right amount of pressure on ourselves to the point to where, we don't go overdo it and we hurt ourselves or we have to, we have to quit doing something because we abused it so bad. And that happens and that, and that it's sad, but it happens. But I also want to talk about FOMO and not missing out on the good times and the fun times in life, like a glass of wine with your girlfriends or a whiskey with my buds or Mr. Billy's smothered deer steak in Arkansas at Prairie Wings duck camp. That's probably, I would say 200 to 240 calories per bite. Okay. It's a lot of bites in there too. I'm just saying like, I'm not going to miss it. I love watching the man's expression on his face. When I look at him and go, what in the frick is this? Like, this is the best shit I've ever tasted in my life. I'm not going to, I don't want to miss that. So I want to talk with you about you're in great shape. You have fears, you have parties, you have ups and downs, you have peaks and valleys, you have life. Okay. And you also are kicking the shit out of life in so many different ways in business and inspiration and influence and climbing all these mountains on seven different continents. Like I want to talk about, is it okay to go the other way sometimes and not be motivated? Just be a, a stick in the mud. Sometimes eat the best, worst foods, go on a runner of a three week freaking Cabo San Lucas runner of tequila and Sammy Hagar music and burritos. Like I want to talk about that. Okay. Can we do that next time? Absolutely. Do you have any closing words for me before I want you to call me after your, your disorientation. And I want you to say, dude, I rocked it. This podcast was so <laughs> inspirational today. I literally used some of our quotes from our podcast to the panel today. And they're like, where did you learn that? Miss Ennis. And then I want you to say from this life ain't for everybody. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it was, as always, it was a blast and it's an honor to sit here and, and chat with you. Um, Beyond that, hey, I mean, I think everybody out there, we, I mean, we have no idea what we're capable of yet. And quite frankly, we've already made it through the hardest stuff. We've already made it through the worst days. So keep your head down, stay gritty and stay resilient and keep moving. Resilient. Oh, that's a great, that's a great thesis. <laughs> that's a great thesis for your talk today is grit. What is grit? What is grit? It's one of the hardest words to define for most people. It's not, I'm not saying that's scientifically proven, but when I talk about grit and I ask people, do you have grit? Do you know what grit is? People are like, you mean like sandpaper? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what is grit? Like, we should talk about that someday. Oh, you should, man. that's, that would Add be, your, that's your whole <laughs> speech today is like, our country needs to be more gritty. We need more grit in our life. And what is grit? Like, we're going to talk about that too. Thank y'all listening. This <laughs> life ain't for everybody. Kirstie Ennis is a 100% American badass, but. She's so honest and transparent. She too faces adversity even after she has faced death, 
lost a leg fighting for our country. You guys have heard her here before on the podcast. I can't wait to hang out with her in a couple months in South Dakota and then at Duck Camp. Kirstie, thank you very much. Thank you. We will be back. In the meantime, check out this song right here. This is What You're Gonna Do When the Money's All Gone by my good friend, Leith Lofton. Written by Leith Lofton and Drake White. Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone Tell me now